0: I want to mention this uh, coming Wednesday night, our teens are going to have their their class time moved to Wednesday night. So if you have a teenager, i uh, like to see them on Wednesday night for their time together. And then we're going to start, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday evening, a men's and a woman's Bible study. Uh, so I'm going to take the fellas. We're going to have a, a, a separate Bible study just on being men of God. And then my wife is going to take and have a study uh, specifically, a Bible study. and if you're interested in that, we need to have you sign up in the back. If you're a lady, you want some details on uh, book to specific book to buy. you can see her after the service, and that will be not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday night. Then uh, also, hopefully you've already registered your kids online for vacation Bible school if you haven't done that, uh, that's coming just in a couple of weeks, and uh, you can do that online uh, and if you if you still have some people that you need to get some vacation Bible school, Flyers out too, uh, and you have some kids in neighborhood. Maybe it's even for your kid. Uh, there's some flyers to hand out right there on the back table as you exit this morning, uh, next to the tithing offering boxes. You can grab a couple of those or a few of those, and you can give them out to kids in your neighborhood. Maybe your grandkids, your nieces, nephews, your cousins, whoever, and uh, that will help them. It's going to be an amazing. Uh, it's going to be amazing VBS. Uh, it's called Mystery Island, and it's put on by Answers in Genesis. Which if you've, if you've never utilized as a resource, it's phenomenal. Uh, that's the Ark experience, uh, back in, uh, in Kentucky and the creation Institute. It's an amazing, uh, just an amazing resource. If you've never been to their website, if you do get to go to the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark, I'd like to go to the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, if you do get to go to the Ark experience, let me say, tell you firsthand, they have an amazing buffet and, uh, it's just, it's, you, you don't think of buffet being good food. Normally it's kind of average food. It's cheap. So you get to eat a lot of it. And uh, But they have a great buffet, and they have a tremendous dessert bar at the de buffet. So uh, if you like any any details about that, see my wife, she was there at the dessert bar much more than anybody, any of us. But uh, it, it's a wonderful experience. If you do get the chance, I thought about maybe taking a group there next year uh, just to experience it. Because if you haven't experienced, it's an amazing, amazing trip. Uh, has anybody ever been there other than me? You've been there, Josie? Is it not amazing? Did you go to both? Oh, the Creation Museum. Okay. That's wonderful as well. When you, it's really cool. They, they tell the creation story by going through it. So they build this garden and you walk through it and every single placard goes right through scripture to the fall of man and then by the grace of God you can be saved. Everywhere you go there you can be saved. Literally. You go on the ark, you go through all three different stories. At the end of it gets the plan of salvation, the history of the Bible, and you can get saved anywhere. And uh, it's really amazing. The ark on the inside of it, uh, and, a, and very faintly lit, is a cross, and, uh, and and of course that's the picture of grace. When God shut the door and said, "Hey, look, it's done. It's finished forever." And so I don't know how I got off on that food. I think is how I got off on that. But uh, the ark of the I don't even know how I got. How did I get on that? I don't know how I got on that. It doesn't matter. We're not staying there. First uh, Samuel chapter eight. If you have your Bibles, and uh, sometimes. If you've been around here long enough, you know I can get carried away. As soon as I say food, my mind just woo, just goes off, off and I can't return sometimes. First Samuel chapter 8, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. I'm enjoying, uh, this is the message that I thought the Lord wanted me to preach last Sunday, and uh, and yet the Lord had something else planned for us. And by the way, that was a wonderful service. I preached that message Wednesday night for the Front Range Baptist Church in Fort Collins, Colorado at my daughter, uh, my daughter and son-in-law's church. And... Uh, the, the people just responded just like you did. They, you know, they thought, man, this is, you know, it's kind of great that God talks to teenagers, but he talks to adults too. If we listen, right? And uh and so uh I, I'm just so thankful that the Bible still works. And it doesn't matter where you preach it, the Bible still works because it's truth. First Samuel chapter eight and verse five, as we continue uh this uh just going through first Samuel, you'll remember now uh that Samuel lost his sons. Remember that? So he lost his sons. They walked not in the ways of Samuel. They decided to say, yeah, I don't want to be a part of dad's faith. I want to do my own thing. And they got, uh, they got busy trying to make money. And they wanted to, their judgment was, the Bible says, perverted by lucre. And so they would give a judgment based on how much money, or bribes. You could say it that way, right? So uh, and, and the Bible doesn't say how Samuel addressed it, but it does say how the children of Israel addressed it. They said, look, your kids are not walking in your ways, we don't want them to be judges over us. Make us a king. And that's where we pick up the story today in verse 5. And and they and said unto him, that is, the children of Israel said to Samuel, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us. Now notice this phrase, and you should underline it in your Bible. Like all the nations. You see that? The Bible says, but the thing displeased Samuel. Look up here. Do you know why it displeased Samuel? And you 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 have to read the whole story and we'll get there in a minute because it displeased God. It's good to have a friend that doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It's good to have a friend that if you're going to live a carnal life, looks at you and says, man, that's just too bad that you're living that way. It, it's good to have that kind of friend. Somebody say, man, that's Bible. All right. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us, verse 6. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected who? They have rejected me, that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of, up out of Egypt, even unto this day wherewith They have forsaken who? Me, and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore, hearken unto their voice. Howbeit, notice this, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of king that shall reign over them. I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled Dangers of Being Like the World. Heavenly Father, again I want to thank you for the word of God this morning, and I want to thank you for the assembling together of the saints And Lord, as we do so, we recognize the fact that you could come at any moment. And so we're here today, uh, Lord, to be encouraged until that moment. We're here today to have our hearts stirred and to have our uh, ears and hearts uh, affected by your word. And I pray that you would bless your word only. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom and understanding as your people. Lord, as your servant, I yield myself to you and I ask that you would help me to get out of your way. This is not about me. This message is about you. And Lord, it's about your will for our life. And I pray that you would just fill me with your spirit and use me for your glory. Bless the word of God in our hearts richly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Our text reveals Israel living in what is described as a theocracy. Uh, we know what a monarchy is. Uh, we know what a democracy is. But a theocracy is a people that are governed by God. So they don't have to have a king. They just need a God. Uh, They don't have to have a stepdad because they have a father. And so this is the theocracy. That's the theological term for the really the government of Israel at this time. Uh, That is, God was their king and they were subject to them. Remember, he said they don't want me to reign over them. And so that was the rule uh, by God's design. Uh, They were to be dependent upon him. They were to be trusting of Him. They were to listen to His Word. They were to take it for what it was in truth as God's Word, and they were to follow it. And over and over again, uh, even though this was the, this was their, their, uh, their existence was that they were living in a theocracy, they still walked away from God. They would take time in the period God calls the judges, the period of the judges, where they would say, no, we don't want to walk under your rule, and they would go to their own thing. Well, the king or, the just one, God Almighty, would say, no, that's not my plan for you. So he would go out and he would chasten them and they would cry out and God would say, OK, now that's what I want to see. I want to see a repentant heart. And he would go out and he would rescue them. By the way, that's a good God that doesn't allow sin to last, but also is loving enough to accept them back. Now, that, that's just the blessing of mercy. Right. And uh, and God would God would guide them always through that time through a judge. The last judge, as we've learned many times over, is Samuel and Let's just be honest when it gets to this point in the Bible, though, we're we're eight chapters past the book of Judges at this point in Scripture. It's almost like they're just tired of doing that. They're tired of listening to God, not listening to God, being punished, crying out and God saying, "Okay, here's another chance. They're they're tired. You could say this way. It just seems like they're tired of the cycle. They're, They're tired of. Of wasting their time. They're tired of God telling them what to do, and they're tired of living against that. By the way, the way of the transgressor is hard. So they're they're spiritually tired. And and, and, and one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible is at the end of verse 5 Make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We don't want Samuel to judge us anymore. And we don't want God to rule us anymore. We want to be like everybody else. And we want to have a king. Now that's sad. This is a problem because if you know the Bible, then you know that God's intention for his people has never been for his people to be like all the other nations. It's never for his people to look like, smell like, act like, talk like, or worship like the world. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, the Bible says, when thou art coming to the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. Over and over again in Scripture, he said, look, you go in, tear down the idols. Don't ask them how they worship their gods. Get rid of everything that doesn't represent me and worship me alone. Don't learn their ways over and over and over throughout the Bible, whether it's in the first five books of the Pentateuch or whether it's in the prophets that were trying to call Israel back. God was always saying, look, don't learn from the rest of the world. You're not theirs. You're mine. Why? Because that's God's design. The fact of the matter is that God's people still struggle with that. God's people still struggle with trying to fit into the world instead of being different from it. The biggest problem with teenagers today is in fitting in that awkward stage of identity and trying to figure out who they are. And being okay with who they are. Rather than trying to be someone else. The biggest problem with them. Is trying to fit in. Being accepted by others. Being sought after. Or approved by others. Or praised by others. But if we were honest. That's not a teen problem. That's a human problem. We all tend to look. At someone else. Or some other scenario. And we try to dream our way. Into the grass being greener there. And we try to. We try to put ourselves into a position that would be like them. Well, if they, if I could just look like her, if I could look like him, if I could have all of those things, then people would admire me just like they do them. It's a human problem. It's not a teen problem. The human condition, by the way, is sin. And through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and what the Bible denotes in 1 John 2.15 as the pride of life, God's people have forgotten their call is to be different from the world so that they can affect the world through truth and light and not let the world affect them. And so I want you to take your outlines this morning and briefly notice the dangers involved in Israel's desire to be as they, as God said it at the end of verse five, like all the other nations. Now, I, I, I got to tell you, as a father, I can only imagine how that must have hurt God. Because previously, you'll remember, we read verses of this just months ago that God said through Moses, there has never been a nation like you. No other nation has had God so close. No other nation has had the words of God. No other nation has the presence of God. And you want to turn your back on that? I come down to this mercy seat. I forgive your sin. I provide for you. I protect you. I give you the ability to get wealth. And this is what I get in return. That you desire a king instead of a father. And you would forsake me. Just because you want to look like all the other nations. Well, if that was your kids, it'd break your heart. I don't want to be a and put your last name in there. I don't want to be a Haynes anymore. I'm changing my name, dad. That'd break my heart. Dave, if your kids, Vicky, if your kids said, I am no longer part of this family, your heart would break. I don't want to be identified with the Asuna household. That would kill you. Now think about God, by the way, who's holy. And who is not moved by emotion, but has them. They've rejected me. We already read that. Samuel, this is not you they're rejecting. It's not your message. It's me that they're rejecting. Wow, that's pretty crazy. First of all, let's just see the danger in their reasoning. Verse 5 says, uh, Make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. The Bible tells us they wanted to be like everyone else. We no longer want to be different. We want to look like everyone else. Now, the problem with that is in Exodus 19 and verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. Now that, that phrase peculiar there is the same as it is in the Greek that we're going to look at in a minute. It means that they've been chosen by God, that they have been brought into his bosom, that they have been taken, not because they were many, not because they were special. They're special because God chose them. And so he says, look, I want you to understand you're not supposed to be like everybody else. Your mind, Listen, it's dangerous for a Christian to entertain thoughts that go directly against God's word. It's just dangerous. Well, this is what the Bible says, But this is what I think. But this is what the Bible says. Well, this is what I believe. Well, then you better change the way you think and believe because this is what God says. It's dangerous for a Christian to entertain thoughts that are opposed to God's word. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. But I fear lest by any means... As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Doesn't get any more simple than this. God chose Israel. God's intent for Israel was to represent him to the whole world. And Israel said, I don't want to any, I no longer do. I want to represent you. I want to be like them. I want to represent myself, my representation and my identity. I want to find like every other nation. Can I just be like everybody else around me? Let me caution you to really think about your life as a Christian. I want you to consider your lifestyle. Consider your habits. Consider your language. Everything about your life. Then ask the question, if people looked at my life close enough, is there any difference from the way unbelievers live? Or say it this way, is there enough difference? Is there enough peculiarity to see God's mark on my life? Being good is not being holy. Keeping my nose clean is not being holy. It's not being like God, Titus 2:14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and then purify us unto himself, purifying to himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. First Peter two and verse nine, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that word peculiar literally means abundance or beyond. It means that God has a special interest in his people, listen, beyond the general interest of mankind, and as his treasured loved ones, their lives should reflect who they are. In Philippians chapter 3, the Bible says that we're citizens of heaven. Then live like it. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. This is not foreign. This is completely foreign. Jesus message in Matthew chapter five In Matthew chapter five. We know this as the great sermon on the Mount from chapters five through almost chapter eight. All you read if you have a red letter edition Bible is the words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter five. Notice, if you will, up in verse three, you know, these I'm not going to preach a message on this, but I need to give this as the context so that you understand when Jesus came, he came not to uh, not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. You could say it this way. Jesus was the law manifest he did everything right how many would agree with that he who knew no sin the bible says became sin for us and so as he stands here and this is his first public uh his first public discourse he's going to preach his first message and this is what he preaches notice what it says verse 3 blessed are the poor in spirit talking about humility blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted why because Jesus is the God of all comfort blessed are the meek For they shall inherit the earth. That's talking about self-control. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8. I love this one. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted. For what sake? For righteousness sake. Wait a minute. Verse 6 says, look. If you want it, then there's a special reward for it. But with that reward comes also some rebuff. When you seek to do the righteousness of God, there are going to be people that don't like it. Look what it says. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye, when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which are before you. Now look at verse 13. Now remember, this is the context. He just said, if you're going to be happy in Jesus, this is your lifestyle. These are the marks of those that are following me. Now notice what it says in verse 13. Ye are salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, where shall it be salted? It's good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot. Verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men. Light a candle and put it under a bushel, but a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. He's not talking about giving to the poor. He's not talking about going to church. He's not talking about doing something. He's talking about being something. The good works of being the salt and light of the earth because if you're not salty how in the world are you going to season the earth the earth's diet is bland it has no flavor there's no abundance of anything and god says listen you're my people so don't live like that live like you're my people you see that's dangerous it's danger in reasoning well i know but if i live this way i'll be persecuted If I live this way, I won't be liked. If I live this way, I won't have that many followers. If I live this way, they'll they'll unlike me, whatever that means. If I live this way, no one will come to my party. So I want to be like all the other nations. It's dangerous in that reasoning. For the Christian, you should write this down. For the Christian, different is normal. Jesus is the one that said it. I didn't. Different is normal. Being different from the world... Is what makes the difference in the world. Light makes a difference in darkness. Salt makes a difference in the preservation of things. And we're both of them. If we want to live like Christ. There's danger in their reasoning. Secondly, there's danger in their reality. Go back to 1 Samuel, if you will. There's danger in the reality that they're living in. Verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us the king to judge us as Samuel... Said, okay, well, I need to talk to the Lord and find out what he wants me to do. And the Lord said to Samuel, verse seven, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, and here's the reality, for they've not rejected thee. They've rejected me. Do you honestly think for one moment that those people, when they made that statement to Samuel, were thinking in their mind, We're rejecting God? Not a chance. There is not a chance in all of eternity that as those people sit up and say, give us a king. We want to be like all the other nations there. They never thought to themselves, we reject God. But that was the reality of their decision. That's pretty dangerous. For someone who belongs to God to say, Lord, I know this is your will, but I reject that will. You're not rejecting the preacher's message. You're not rejecting your teacher's message. You're not rejecting your parents' message. You are rejecting God. That's a scary reality. Dangerous, you might say. Make no mistake about it. Samuel's not happy. Why? Because God wasn't. See, true love does not rejoice in iniquity. And the reality of the matter is God says, Samuel, don't worry. They're not rejecting you as their preacher. They're rejecting me as their God. Dangerous reasoning always turns into a dangerous reality. And here's the danger of their reality. Letter A, they rejected God's position as God. As God. Let me ask you a question. I'm not asking you, do you believe in God? I'm asking, do you believe that he has all authority over your life? Because that's the reality. The reality is, God is in control Listen, even if you say no, even if you throw a fit, and this week at my daughter's house, I saw a couple fits, and I saw the result of those fits. Pretty crazy. I said, well, pastor, that's an 18-month-old. Adults don't throw fits. Oh, they don't? They may not lay down on the floor, they may not throw something, they may not hit anybody, they may not do that, but they throw their own fits. Oh, they, 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 they can turn their back on God just as quick as an 18-month-old could turn and run away from her mama. That quick. They rejected his position. Jesus came and spoke to them in Matthew 28 after his resurrection and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That word power is authority. That's why in Hebrews, you see the Lord Jesus sitting on the right hand of the father. That is the executive seat. All things were created by him and through him. And there was not anything made that was made that didn't go through Jesus Christ. He is the living word of God. And God gave him all authority. And he said this, all authority has been given unto me and under heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and preach the word to every creature. So the one who has all authority, they've said we don't want you to be an authority. We do not want you to rule over us. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Well, it's too bad, Israel. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. A lot of people want Jesus to save him. They just don't want him to be their Lord. I don't want to live under a lordship. I don't want to live under someone who has to reign over me. Well, you should. The dangerous reality is that they just rejected God. They chose a king over a father. They wanted a man instead of God. But not just any God. The God who had already proved himself to them. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken to the voice of the people and all that they say to thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Verse eight, according to all their works, which they have done since the day. Notice that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, where they have forsaken me and served other gods. So do they also unto thee. You see that when I brought them up, that's a small statement for a huge biography. God says they don't remember all that I've done already for them. I provided for them. I have protected them. I have planted them in the land of promise. And this is what they're doing. Samuel, this is not on you. It's on them. And they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They rejected his position. Most people have a problem with God being in total control of life. Until, uh, but until he does, they will always live in frustration. It's called kicking against the pricks. God's trying to prick your heart and prick your heart and get you to submit and yield, and you won't. You're just going to continue to like a like the Bible says, like a dog to his vomit. I'm just going to keep going back. I know this is what you want, but Lord, this is the way I've always lived. And I know that you're trying to direct me, but Lord, this is why I I, I just and and they're just going to continue to do that? Well, that's dangerous. They rejected the Position of God. Secondly, they rejected his protection. Let, let me say this no person will ever protect you like the Lord God will protect you. And I'm going to prove that. Malachi chapter 3. You can turn there if you want to. You may not know where that's at. If you go to Matthew, turn left. It's the first Italian book in the Old Testament, it's the last book. Really. Brother Rossi would say. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Just listen to this. And by the way, as soon as I read these verses, please, as my dad would say, don't get your nose out of joint. Okay, don't get on your ear. Just listen to the context of the verses. And you're listening for the protection of God in the center of God's will. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Listen, and I love it when God adds a caboose to the train. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast a fruit fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all nations shall call you blessed For ye shall be a delightsome land, say the Lord of hosts. God says, here's my will. Do what I want and prove me. Show yourself that I am God, that I can provide for you. And not only will I provide for you, guess what? When that old accuser comes before me and starts accusing the brethren day and night, like the Bible says, I'm going to rebuke him for your sake. Why? Because you're my children. Because I am your God. And you decided... That you were going to let my plan be your plan. Well, that's good Bible preaching right there. That's just the word of the living God. No man, no woman, no government, no employer on this earth will ever provide for you and watch over you like God Almighty will. They knew that theoretically. The problem was they didn't know it practically. They had been taught. They had been preached to. They had heard it all. And theoretically, they went out with the knowledge, but they didn't have the courage and the faith to put it into wisdom. So thirdly, they rejected his plan. Do you realize that God's plans for your life are much bigger than your plans? Far bigger. But only he sees the end from the beginning. He doesn't reveal it all to you at one time. Thankfully, I'm so thankful that when God said, I want you to go to Morgan Hill, he didn't lay out everything that would happen in 20 years. By the way, next, next week will be 20 years. My wife and I pulled up in a writer. After it ran out of gas. On I-5. After we pulled in and tried to unpack just our bed and our neighbors that we had never met. Called the police, said we're making too much noise. This was how we got here. I'm so glad that God didn't reveal 20 years of ministry. When he said, okay, I'm going to call you to Shadow Mountain. I'd have never come. Not a chance. Scott, if God, Linda, if God would have said, okay, here's everything that you and your family and this little church is going to go through in 20 years. It's not a chance. I'd have been like, I'd have been like Jonah, find a new man. I'm not going. Not have been swallowed by a whale. But I wouldn't have gone. There's not a chance that I would have gone. Instead, you know what he does? Instead of revealing the whole thing and letting us step back and go, what? He goes, I'm going to give you this step. And if you, by faith, will take that step, I'll give you grace. Oh, and then here's another step. I just want you to be obedient right there, Kyle. Just right there. And just trust me. Prove me now with. And I'm going to give you grace for that. And I'm going to let you celebrate my grace for a while. And I'm going to give you this. Oh, and with this step comes this difficulty. I just want you to trust me in the difficulty. And I'm not going to talk to you for a while. I just want you to know that. I want you to be still. And know that I'm God. In the midst of that. And I want you to trust me, Kyle. You've taken all these steps. And you could never prove that I was not faithful now. That doesn't change me. This new circumstance does not change my character. Trust me, right here. And so, what are you going to do? What you, what's the alternative? I reject you. I don't want this difficulty. I don't want this step. No, I want you to trust me. Get back over here. Pack, 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 pack. Get in there. And when you are still long enough and when you are trusting long enough and your faith can be tested and proved long enough, he says, there's your grace. You humbled yourself. Because his plan is perfect. He only wants you and I to trust and obey him with what he does reveal. One box at a time. We want to fill in all the boxes, don't we? We really do. You want me to get to point three so fast that you can check the box and check out. Exodus 19, God said, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Then the wilderness happened. They didn't trust God. They all died. Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to all the parents now. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is the God of heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There's none else. Thou shalt keep therefore his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee. And that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. Now watch. If we're not taking each step, he reveals. Listen very carefully. If you're not taking each step that God reveals, the next step will never be revealed. It won't. If if you keep revisiting like a reoccurring nightmare, you just keep going over and over and over, you're missing something. Because the Christian life is a journey. The just shall walk by faith. And every step that I take, if I misstep... If I misstep and go this way, I'm no longer on the path of God's righteousness. Everybody get that? Well, tracking here. So if I get off, God's not okay. Well, you just go down that path and forget my path. We'll just take yours. That's not how God works. God is not going to reveal the next step until I'm faithful in the first step. Read Acts 13 for yourself. As Paul and Barnabas ministered, the Holy Ghost said unto them, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. They would have never been called had Paul and Barnabas not been faithfully ministering. Let me ask this. Have you taken the simple steps of obedience so that he can reveal the next step? don't tell me. Don't tell me all that God has revealed if what he has revealed you're not following. Somebody say amen. Don't tell me all of what you think God is trying to do if you can't obey what he's already told you to do. These people knew what God was asking of them, and they decided that they were going to go another way. Dangerous. The danger in their reasoning, danger in their reality. Thirdly, the dangers in the result. And this is, the, this is even more tragic. There's a reason that God has commanded his people to be different from the world. Listen, because his plan is better, and it costs much less. Let's just consider two things. First of all, the cost involved. And I want you to see something that I discovered while studying this passage. And that's this. When we decide to live out God's will according to our own plan, it costs more than God's plan does. Now notice what it says in verse 9. Now we're up to speed. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Now I'm going to give you some words in the next several verses that I want you to highlight or underline or circle. And you'll get it. I won't have to say it after the first couple of verses. Okay. So Samuel, verse 10, told all the words of the Lord unto the people like a good preacher that asked of him a king. And this is what he said. This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take. See that? Circle that word. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots. You can circle the word his too and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint them captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. Oh, look, verse 13, and he will take. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. Oh, look at verse 14, and he will take. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive uh, olive yards even the best of them, and give them to his servants. Oh, look, and he will take a tenth of your seed. Now, wait a minute. If you're a good Jew, a tenth of that already goes to God. Now you've got 20% deduction. Ten to the state and ten to God. How is that not costing more? Yet we want a king. Look what it says. He will take a tenth of your seed and your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. Oh, look, verse 16, and he will take your men servants and your manservants servants and your goodest men and your asses and put them to his work. Oh, look, verse 17, and he will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants and ye shall cry out in that day because your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Wow. What a cost. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever, listen, will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Same thing has happened here. Jesus knows the 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 risk reward of living their own life. Yeah, okay, that's the reward. You're going to have all of this. But notice the risk. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you more than if you just let me be your king. If you would just subject yourself to my will, it would cost you far less. In fact, you think you're losing your life. But actually, when you give it to me, you find it all. You and I can never see what the total cost of a life totally yielded to God is. And we will never fully know all the blessings either. And that's where faith comes in. For Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Man, the cost involved. And yet in all of it, they said, we don't care. Notice what it says. At the end of this passage, it says, in verse 19, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us. God says, Okay, Samuel. I'm letting you know that I'm going to let, listen, I'm going to let them have their way. Did you hear what I said? This is the path they've chosen. So I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to let them have their life. I'm going to let them have their life exactly how they planned it out. I'm going to let their life have all the reward of a, that a finite mind can possibly enjoy. I'm going to let them have their own way. If they want to reject me, then I go, I'm going to let them see what their life looks like without God. Remember what it says at the end of verse 18. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. I'm going to let them know and experience what it looks like when they have rejected me. You know, when God wants to really get your attention, he'll just let you have your own way. He'll just say, OK, Steve, OK, that's your way. There you go. You got it. Enjoy that while you can. Because I'm God, I see where that leads you. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof, I only know what's there. So it lets them have their own way. But i got to be honest, the picture God paints of that life is not pretty. It's calamity. Things don't get better when you ignore God's word. When, when we worship ourselves more than God, God turns us away. The Bible says in Jeremiah 6 and verse 30, Reprobate silver shall men call them because the Lord hath rejected them. 2 Timothy 3 8. Now, as Janus and Jamris withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, listen, reprobate concerning the faith. Titus 1 and verse 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. God's plan for your life and mine calls for total surrender, total submission. And he says that's when our lives prove his will. Now, if if you want to get the gist of this, we don't have time, but sometime today, go to Romans chapter one and read verses 18 through the end of the chapter. And you'll see that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful and they became vain in their imaginations and they worshipped the creature more than the creator. Then what happened? Well, God gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up. And by the way, and that first gave them up. It lists just the gnarliest part of sin. And then look, then God gave them up again. Okay, you can have your way. And that's when they started doing things, men with men and women with women. And it got all out of whack. And finally, at the end of that, God gives them over. Listen to the word, a reprobate mind. At that point, the word reprobate means that there's no reference to right or wrong. It's just is. Truth and morality become relevant to the moment to which I'm going to experience it. So that if I think it's good, it's good. If I think it's right, it's right. And you can't tell me any different. And that's the end of it. You see that? God says, here's the calamity that you're ignoring. I know where that leads. I'm trying to show the world that I'm God, that I'm faithful, that I'm loving. And yet that I'm just and holy. And your lifestyle is not showing that show. I'm going to let the world see more of themselves in you. The Bible says in Romans 12, and be not conformed to this world, but be renewed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't you want to do that so bad? How did God speak to you this morning? You asked. The word of God was open. How did he do it? He reminded us that a real Christian is never happy when another Christian turns their back on sin, uh, turns their back on God, and isn't afraid to tell them the truth. Remember, Samuel said, Wait, whoa, whoa. Everybody knew Samuel was not happy. Trust me, everyone knew. Then they knew God was not happy, but they didn't care. He also reminded us that the Christian, that as Christians, it's dangerous to try to find our identity and approval in becoming like the world. Because we're supposed to be different. That's 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14. He reminded us that the price for being like the world is the absence of His peace. Of His provision and of His protection. Now, God spoke, but were you listening? Man, I hope so. Because in the coming weeks, we're going to see not only... What it looks like when God rejects, when people reject God, we're going to see God's pure love. And where God says, I know you've rejected me, but I'm still going to pursue you in love. I'm still going to come after you. You may not like the way I come after you, but I will not forsake my own. Hallelujah, thine the glory for that. That I can fail God and I can fail him over and over and yet he still pursues me. He says, you're mine and you'll be mine until I finally get you here to where you finally belong in my presence. And I don't care what it takes. I will not forsake my own. I'm going to chasten you. I'm going to chasten you. I'm going to make you miserable, giving you your own way until you finally come to the realization that, God, your plan is so much better. Your life is so much better than mine. Father, I thank you so much for the, the simplicity of your word. As we open it over and over and over again, it doesn't matter where we open it. The truth of who you are is so amazingly the same. And that's because, God, you're the same today as you were yesterday and you forever will be. God, I'm so thankful. For listening ears and I can tell they've paid attention well today, and I'm thankful for that. But God, more than giving you our attention. What you desire is our heart. And I pray today in the quietness of a moment that you would find us humbled and yielded. Lord, if there are Christians here living out of the will of God, I pray that they would not reject you as God. Lord, rejecting your message is rejecting you. There's no separating your word from who you are. There's there's no separating your word from the precious Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. God, for the life of me, For the life of me, I cannot figure out why so many people in this country and around the world are still trying to find what they cannot find in it. Lord, today you open our eyes as to who we are in Christ. May we be different from the world. May we see the danger of trying to be like it. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would use us as the salt and light that you've saved us to be with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you really know? If God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Do you have the Bible answer for that? Another way of asking the question, you could say it this way. If you died right now, are you 100% sure that you'd be in heaven or in hell? Or do you know? So I know what my dad told me, and I had, you know, this experience. I'm glad that you did. That's where I was. I was in a service like this one day, and I realized my experience wasn't going to get me to heaven. It was only going to be by a Savior, or I wasn't going. And I needed to humble myself before my wife, my family, my church, before God. And come to Christ alone. Have you ever done that? Do you know for sure? If you haven't, can I just say this? There is no shame in telling the truth to the Lord. God, I don't know that for sure. There's no shame in the midst of believers to say, I don't have that security and assurance. There's no shame. In fact, there's only victory and rejoicing. Maybe that's you. Maybe you'd say with an uplifted hand, Pastor, I don't know. If I died today, I'd be in heaven. But I want to know, would you please pray for me? If that's you, with with, with no one looking around, would you just lift your hand up? And, can I see that? I want to pray for you. I do not know that I'd be in heaven today if I died. Pray for me. Anybody like that? I see that hand. Thank you for being so honest. I see that back there. Thank you for being honest. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Somebody else? Pastor, I do not know. I do not know. There is no shame in telling the truth. Satan wants you. To believe, oh, well, you know, I, I just don't don't say it out loud. You could talk to him later. No, 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 there's no shame. You don't want anybody else. You don't want your spouse to think. You don't want your kids to think. No, it's not about them. Your soul is going somewhere. Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I don't know if I'd be in heaven for sure. Here's my hand. I didn't raise it earlier. Here's my hand. All right, Christian, let me ask you this. Is Jesus just your Savior or is He your Lord? Have you been resisting His plan for your life? Are you trying to find a life outside of God's reign? You're probably not experiencing life the way God wanted you to then. How many would say, with nobody looking around except for me, Pastor, pray for me, God spoken to my heart today about his lordship in my life. It may be in the matter of trusting. It may be in the matter of obeying, which always go together. It may be something that you've struggled with for a while, some besetting sin. But today, you want to yield that to Christ. You say, Pastor, pray for me. However he spoke to you, would you just say, Pastor, God spoke to me specifically about his lordship in my life. Please pray for me during this invitation. If that's you, just slip up your hand real quick. Anybody like that? Anybody? All over the building. All right. Christian, I want to ask you to pray. You may feel it necessary to leave your seat and come down to this altar. We haven't had a come forward invitation in a year and a half. Last week was the first one we had. And I was so grateful for it. If you feel the need to leave your seat and come to this altar, I would invite you to come right now. But if you raised your hand and you didn't know Jesus as your Savior, I want to talk to you just for a moment. Right there where you're sitting, if your heart is open and honest before God, you so desperately want to know for sure you're on your way to heaven, you could say this to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I realize today that I am a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe with all of my heart that you died for my sin. That you rose again from the grave and you're my only hope. I ask you now, right now, The best way I know how. Would you please come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Take me to heaven when I die. Thank you so much for saving me. Now if you said that prayer for the very first time. Then you need to understand this. God always keeps his promises. The Bible says. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. And if you. If you personally trusted Christ this morning as your savior and you meant it with your heart. I'd like to rejoice with you and I'd like to pray for you. If you did say that for the first time and you meant. it, Would you just slip up your hand? Nobody looking around and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer and I meant it from my heart. God saved me today. If that's you, just slip up your hand real quick. Anybody like that? I see that hand. I think praise the Lord for that. You can put it down. I meant it. God saved me today. The good part about being a Christian, for many of us, you understand this, that you don't have to pray that prayer over and over and over again. The devil wants you to believe that it wasn't enough, that the Jesus' blood isn't enough, that he has to be crucified and you have to be saved over and over and over again. But I know this, if I'm not living the life that God has planned for me, then I can certainly feel like I was never saved. And I'm going to tell you what we told our teenagers two weeks ago. Salvation, my friend, is not about feelings. It's about facts. You may be living like the world. You may be doing your own thing, and that's why you feel lost. But as we'll see in the next couple of weeks, once you belong to Christ, you always belong to Christ. Your feelings have nothing to do with the fact that you are in Christ. By the way, praise the Lord for that. God, God, we commit the service to you and we thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the one that raised their hand that said they trusted you today and invited you to come and take residence in them. God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you that today is that day. And Lord, for the hearts of your people who were touched today that asked for prayer, I pray that you'd minister to them and help them. God, give them the courage to live the life of faith that you've called us to live. Lord, it's a battle as a preacher, I see the warring in the members. I I see faces fighting against the flesh and listening to other voices, and there are so many uncertain sounds. But God, I pray that you would help us to separate ourselves from those sounds so that we can hear from our God. Thank you for speaking today and for speaking so clearly. And I pray that you'd bless that in our heart. Thank you for the teachers today and the nursery workers who are helping us to be able to sit in here and I pray that you bless the word of God in their hearts today. And I pray in all of it that our families would love you more than ever, that we would serve you more than ever. We ask that you'd bless the remainder of our day. May we keep the cross of Calvary over everything that we see and do today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All God's people said. Well, thank you for being here this morning. Let's stand together. I'm so grateful uh, to be here.